It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. This is a Geek Leader Podcast, and I'm your host, John Rauta. This show is all about helping us grow as leaders, become better technologists, and improve our lives, both at work and at home. I hope you enjoy the show and learn a lot. Hello, world. Welcome to episode 209 of a Geek Leader Podcast. I'm your host, John Rauta. Today's sponsor is Private Internet Access. If you've ever surfed the web and wanted to do it securely, especially when you're traveling or using someone else's uh, network, you definitely need private internet access. Private internet access allows you to have a secure VPN without them logging what data you're, what you're doing, what transactions you're making, or anything like that to connect to anywhere in the world. You can also change your default location so it appears as if you're coming from a different place. Why is this helpful, you say? If you're not doing anything nefarious, well, it's really helpful if you wanna test DNS resolution from different places and different time zones. Um, it's a really cool tool and it's not very expensive at all. You can get plans starting at $3.99 a month and you can find out more by going to geekleader.com slash VPN. Again, that's geekleader.com slash VPN. All right, Geek Leaders, so down the show, I've got Jeffrey Hall, and he is a, uh, I should say, Dr. Jeffrey Hall, um, CEO at Leadership Inc., and uh, does leadership consulting. He has been doing that for over 20 years with C-level leaders, so we are lucky to, to get someone that we can talk to at this level, and he's the author of a best-selling book called Flex, The Art and Science of Leadership in a Changing World. And as you all are aware, with COVID and everything else that's been happening, we've been living in a changing world over the past uh, year, probably more rapidly than what we're used to. But with all that being said, Jeff, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. If you don't mind, just tell the audience a little bit about how you got to where you are today and, uh, and what, are, what are some of the things that you're doing and what led to you writing this book? Uh, great question. That's a lot. So let's <laughs> see if I can unpack it briefly for you. Um, I mean, I started my career right out of college in the HR space, and I worked for uh, two or three tech companies. The first one was Electronic Data Systems, um, and then I worked for a couple of others, and finally uh, was the head of HR for the technology division of Booz Allen and Hamilton. Um, and that it was during that time that I really started and discovered that I what I really loved about that job was the leadership development, coaching, counseling, training component of the job, unlike the benefits, comp, hiring, and all that other stuff, which I had to do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but you know, it took me a, it took me some time to sort of hone in on the areas that I was really passionate about. And then, uh, so I stepped out with a couple of friends in, uh, in New York City at one point to try our hand at the entrepreneurial path. And we started a consulting firm doing leadership development. Um, my friend and business partner at the time was from Wall Street. So we had a lot of clients in the financial sector. We worked with big banks, fintech. That was the early days of fintech companies. Mm -hmm. Very, very uh, successful. It was we, we had a great time for quite a few years. 
Um, and along the way, I uh, knew that I needed to deepen my knowledge of counseling and coaching. So that's where I decided to go back to school and get a PhD in clinical psychology. I really needed to know the underpinnings of what I was trying to do with some of the leaders that I was coaching. Um, I ran into some rather challenging personalities, which you can when you work in startups and tech environment. And I wanted to understand the psychology that goes into um, highly motivated, highly successful, high performing teams and leaders. Um, and that ultimately led me to get involved with the Institute of Coaching, which is based at Harvard, which is a research, kind of a nonprofit education and research organization dedicated to um, funding and then disseminating some of the evidence-based research underpinnings of coaching, high-performance leadership, teamwork, those kinds of things. So that's pretty much what I do today. Mm -hmm. um, and along the way, I've done a lot of research, have lots and lots of different clients in different industries. And then that ultimately led to me wanting to um, put together this book that you just mentioned called Flex, The Art and Science of Leadership in a Changing World. Um, I was kind of already aware a few years ago that the leadership landscape was really just hugely shifting from what I had found when I first graduated from college. So what are some and, of those changes you've seen then? Like, uh... Well, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned it because I mean, what was happening a couple of years ago is now accelerated, you know, mm -hmm. in, the, in light of the pandemic and all the disruption we've experienced. But just to give you a flavor, um, you know, when I first started working with leaders, for the most part, it was white men. Mm -hmm. They were very directive. They were top down. It was command and control. It was, you know, have the vision, be directive, get the troops lined up behind you, take the mountain, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, that's still valid. And I still work with folks that work that do that kind of thing. But today, it's much more varied and um, much more uh, geographically dispersed, culturally diverse. There are many more female leaders that bring a whole different um, flavor to teamwork at times. Um, there's just a much more diverse uh, approach to leadership that I'm asked to get engaged in. And then you add to that sort of what I call the democratization of organizations, you know, the networking and the flattening um, and the information sharing that's now yeah. available through the technology. Um, and you have just a whole brave new world. I mean, it's really fundamentally changed. We're not working in silos. We're not working as much in pyramids, in hierarchies. Um, and now we're working virtually. So you add it all together and, uh, you know, you really have a very changed work environment and that requires leaders, um, and that's the theme of my book, to be a whole lot more flexible than they might've been in the past. Yeah, and I think I, I've been in environments before where like um, at the last company I was with is a family and business and, um, but it was a larger company, you know, it had, you know, a couple thousand employees, but you, you had like a difference between, if somebody in the family, you know, one of the executives said something, you know, it was more of a command and control. You did what they said, no matter what. <laughs> Whereas right. if you if you had, you know, maybe um, one of the vice presidents that's not part of the family, would, would he had had he had to have a different leadership style, you know, mm. and, and almost had to kind of 
have that more, I'm going to motivate you. I'm going to coach you. I'm going to build you up. Uh, you're not, you know, you're allowed to give feedback. You're allowed to you know, push back. And, you know, that's what we want because we want to, you know, have that conversation. We don't want to just, you know, direct. We want to make sure we have people that are working um, to provide input and value wherever they see fit. And if they don't, right. if they see a problem, they're going to have the freedom to speak up. Whereas sometimes you can't, how, how have you seen that clash happen and, and the need to be flexible from, from leaders in that, that type of role? Well, I totally agree that that is, um, it, it is a paradigm shift that sometimes works smoothly in some organizations with, uh, I, I, I guess I would call them enlightened leaders, um, and sometimes can be a clash uh, between demographics, um, between seniority and, you know, people that are very experienced and junior folks. But what I always circle back around to when I'm working with leaders that are challenged by this, by all the shifts that we're noticing, is to ask themselves, what are you ultimately trying to accomplish? And are you getting the best out of everyone on your team to accomplish it? Because if the only people that are really being creative or innovative or taking risks are at the very top of the organization, then what is the rest of the organization doing? You know, are you really leveraging the full human potential at all levels? Or are you even potentially missing out on some incredibly creative up and coming younger folks? and whose voice could be getting, giving you insights and ideas that would potentially lead you to crush the competition. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you start to have a conversation with leaders about what they're ultimately trying to, to accomplish, which is to be sustainable, to be competitive, to get out ahead of the competition, then they start to step back and think, oh yeah, maybe, maybe we don't have it all finished at the top, you know, maybe we don't have it all tied up in a bow and we need to make sure that we're listening, that we're curious. So how important is self-awareness when it comes to that, to that being curious and listening and, you know, knowing where you stand as, as, as a leader or, or even not, even as an individual contributor when it comes to, um, you know, your leadership skills? I mean, I think it's foundational, right? I mean, I, I think in, as a coach, you know, the process of coaching, if you think about what coaches do, is to provide a sounding board, a mirror, or feedback to a leader so they can get to understand how they are perceived by others, how they come across. And then they can reflect on how they see themselves. You know, I'm often shocked by the lack of alignment sometimes that people have their sense of self versus the sense of how other people perceive them. And so a really good coaching um, dynamic creates in the leader that growth mindset to think about what are my strengths? What do I do well? Where are my blind spots? You know, what are the habits that I've developed that might be getting in the way of my future success? So self-awareness is foundational to my mind. So if you're a leader in, uh, you know, I guess coaching is probably the best way to kind of gain some of that self-awareness because you have someone from the outside that can, you know, tell you or, or help you see for yourself what are, what are some of the, the issues. What, what other things does a coach bring to, um, to, to a leader that's out there? Because I, I hear people talk about coaching and, and 
you know, I was actually just having a chat with someone the other day and they're, and they were talking about having a parenting coach help them out. And it seems like there's now coaches for, for everything. Um, <laughs> what are some things that, that leadership coaches bring to uh, management level employees? Well, I think that the coaching opportunity is, it, it doesn't surprise me to hear you talking about parenting coaching or, you know, that it's showing up in a whole lot of different um, modalities or environments. And that's because I think the one thing that the, the fundamental gift that coaching offers anyone is to be on, to give them the experience of being on a learning journey to take mm -hmm. them to the next level of success. And so coaches will help their clients discover their personal goals, their ambitions, what they're mostly, they're deeply intrinsically motivated to accomplish. It's like, it's not easy sometimes when you say to yourself, well, what do I want to do with my life? Or what do I want to accomplish? Or where do I want to be in a few years? Mm -hmm. And a good coach can usually help you dig underneath those sort of big ominous questions to get something granular that's valuable and potentially that you can execute against. And then, a, and then the next step is a, a really good coach will help you develop and implement practices, you know, habits that support that growth, that support you building the skills, the competencies, the flexibility, the agility that you need to accomplish your goal. And then finally, a really good coach will also help you celebrate and create the experience of positive reinforcement, which is sometimes left out of the mix. Um, I know so many very high achieving goal oriented folks who they, you know, they have a to-do list and they check this off and check that off, but they don't stop to celebrate. And it's, it's really important because championing and succeeding um, can actually lead to burnout if you mm -hmm. don't stop and celebrate with your team. If you don't stop to give kudos, to give recognition and, and to even honor yourself as you accomplish your goals. So a good coach will be a reminder for someone to you know, reinforce the positive, have balance. Life is not all, all about this goal, the next goal, the following goal. You know, um, there's more to life than that. So there's so many different things that a coaching mindset and a coaching experience can offer, I think. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's an important thing. I, I know for me, it's really hard for me to remember to stop to celebrate. And, you know, so I actually have someone on my team that kind of plays as that uh, devil's advocate and we're like, hey, uh, we, we just finished this rollout. It's time to order pizza and have... <laughs> <laughs> have a little exactly. party. Um, it's, it's time yeah. to do that that thing. And, exactly. Uh, um, yep. So yeah, and a I coach see doesn't a coach doesn't have to be a formal, you know, executive coach. I mean, that's great if you're mm -hmm. if you're able to have one of those. That's wonderful. But coaching can also be finding a good mentor who knows how to give you feedback and do the kinds of things I just described, or someone that you trust that's a peer. Um, it's really a, a form of supportive relationship. It doesn't have to be an external coach. Yeah. I think mentors are really important. I know for me, when I, when I first became a manager, um, a mentor was kind of crucial for me because I was, 
I was at a company, you know, and in tech, you, you hear high turnover rates sometimes are, are somewhat uh, common, especially uh, where we were located um, with software developers. You know, the, I think at the time in Charlotte, North Carolina, the average um, tenure for a software developer was something like nine or 10 months because, wow. you know, you had short contracts and uh, with Wells Fargo and Bank of America, both located uh, with their headquarters right there, they were turnover was just really quick. Mm. And um I was, I had a really high turnover. And at one point, a third of my team were empty seats. You know, we were trying to oh fill them God. and hire them. And I had two people quit on the same day and I had just gotten assigned a mentor. So I went to my mentor and I was like, yeah, I don't know what to do. It's just high turnover. He's like, yeah, that's not exactly it. I said, well, what do you think the problem is? I said, well, it's probably their boss. You know, he was trying to tell me that people don't really leave good, good situations for a little bit more money. You know, if they have a really great boss, they're going to stick around. If they don't sure. have a really good boss, they're more likely to bounce. So, you know, you need to focus inward a little bit and don't be always blaming the, the contractors and the other companies that are out there and the sa higher salary somewhere else. Focus on the things that you're doing and make sure that you can do the best that you can, you know, you can be the best boss these people have ever, ever had and, and that'll fix your turnover problem. And to have someone kind of point it out and just kind of let me know that, hey, you're, you need to focus on you right now. Don't focus mm -hmm. on them. Don't focus on those empty seats. Don't focus on the other opportunities that people are leaving for. Because that, that's not going to change. You're not going to be able to fix those things. What you can, can fix is to be the best boss that you can be for these people and to come up with a plan to execute, to, to build teamwork or, or you know, a, a family kind of, kind of environment so that people work closer together and make people happier at work and be the best boss so that people don't want to leave, you know, not so that they're just looking for the next opportunity. And I think having a mentor kind of enlighten me to that thing, to, to that kind of, oh, I need to fix myself. How can I do that? And then leadership books and, you know, reading different books and uh, watching TED talks and exploring all the different paths that are out there for leadership and motivation. And how can I improve the things that I'm doing? What are some of the things that I can execute on today? Uh, like I talked about, you know, celebrating. That was one of the things I was weak at. I was, uh, before, you know, we started recording, I talked about the fact that I'm, I'm weak on empathy sometimes, you know, I don't have that, <laughs> that ability. So how can I work on that? What are some steps that I can practically do to, to take that to the next level? And, um, and, you know, I think having that coach or mentor is one of those things that are crucial that a lot of people just kind of overlook. They see that as more of a nice to have, but, but I see it as more of, you know, a must have, especially when you're starting out. Yeah. When you don't have the luxury of automatic loyalty or long-term commitment from mm -hmm. today's workforce, it's no longer a luxury. Yes. And in the, in the wake of the pandemic, it's like, you can't think of um, teamwork and communication and the soft skills of really taking care of people and supporting their well-being, you can't think of those as nice-to-haves. They're yeah. crucial to the success of the team. You know, I've always that, hated that, that soft skills, you know, because they're really hard. <laughs> oh, and they're not just hard. They're, 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 they're not just hard. They're core to your success. Yes. Right? And um, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book. My book is filled with case studies of basically leaders that wanted to become more effective in a whole bunch of different domains, engagement, collaboration, authenticity, emotional intelligence, to your point, um, intentional communications, decision-making, all mm -hmm. of the kinds of things that require the honing in on those soft skills. And so what I wanted to do was also create a whole lot of exercises for folks that are doing exactly what you just described, trying to think about how can I get better at these things. So, you know, one, what I did is I pulled some of the best examples from my own practice, some of which are with tech leaders 
or scientists or research, you know, um, in the STEM space. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were, have, have struggled with, you know, creating innovative teams or being more emotionally available to their teams or, you know, making group decision-making rather than just being the sort of type A, what I call the alpha leader who makes all the decisions. So that was actually one of the primary um, drivers for me in writing this book was to give folks those kinds of examples and practices and support, because I think that it isn't easy today. Those soft skills are hard, as you said. Yeah. So you talk about the alpha uh, type A and the uh, beta um, leadership uh, or leadership styles. I don't know if styles, uh, that's probably the wrong word. No, that's um, workable. That okay. works. So, so what are the difference between those two and why is it important to be flexible between those? Well, they're, they're what I would call archetypes, right? Because yes. no, no one person is all alpha or all beta. But in today's world, it's really helpful to have a sense of where you start as a leader. And, you know, your typical traditional alpha style leader is highly directive, typically data driven, tends to be stoic, tries to keep the emotions out of the workplace tends to focus on tasks, tends to be highly structured. You know, all of these things start to sound very familiar. They delegate, they advise, they, they do all the things that we think of as traditional top-down leadership. And they can, that can work really well, especially in urgent situations where you really need someone to fix an emergency. Or, you know, if, I, if I'm going under the knife as a, with a surgeon, I really hope my surgeon is an alpha. I like surgeons who know <laughs> their shit, right? <laughs> Yeah. But on the other end of the spectrum, if what, let's say you have a team where you want to be highly innovative and to your earlier point, you want to not have turnover. You want people to be highly committed and loyal to the organization, even though they're being pulled by all these other opportunities because there's a lot of demand for their skills. Well, that requires the soft skills that are more common in what I call the beta style leader who tends to be naturally collaborative, naturally curious, a consensus builder, someone who is, who finds coaching just comes naturally to them. You know, they are more maybe emotionally expressive. They, they love team dynamics. They love to brainstorm, which is a particularly effective leadership style in today's world. Millennials love to work with leaders like that. The irony is that those same people also need to be directive at times. You know, there's a couple of case studies in my book with these really wonderful tech beta leaders that are mm -hmm. consensus driven and they pull everyone together and they have beer parties on Fridays and they all get along really well and they work hard, but then they play hard and it's all great. Except that when I interviewed the direct reports of a couple of those people, they said things like, well, my boss is really great at discussions and dialogue and brainstorming, but sometimes I wish they'd just make a decision because mm. it feels like we spend a lot of time spinning our wheels. And, you know, you know, Jeff, it would be great if they had a little more clarity around their goals and their vision, because I know they're flexible, but sometimes I don't really know exactly where we're headed. And then and so I'm like, oh, so you want them to be more bossy? And they're like, well, not <laughs> bossy, but, you know, clear, clarity, direction, you know, data. Yeah, that would be helpful. So the point being that it works in both directions and it's context driven, like depending upon what you're trying to accomplish, you want to have at your disposal 
the variety of muscles, so to speak, leadership muscles that work the best in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And anyway, I've seen, um, so do you think it's important for, let's say you had a leader that was tends to be more alpha and they need to work out their beta a little bit, would it be important for them to maybe hire someone who's more beta driven to kind of help them, uh, I don't know, like, 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 for example, let's say you're um, a, a director or vice president. Could you hire a manager underneath you that's very beta driven to, to kind of help you work out those things? And then and maybe you guys could work together on, on certain aspects or is that is that kind of detrimental? No, I think in the best case scenario, that's actually ideal. Um, but it starts with that alpha leader having enough self-awareness, we go all the way back to one of your original questions today, right? That that individual has to have enough self-awareness to recognize the limitations of being that directive alpha style leader. And if they get that, Mm -hmm. then they can do both. They can potentially look around at their team or their colleagues and think, wow, who can I compliment myself? Who's, who fits that beta style really well that I can learn from, that I can partner with, that I can, that I can pick up some of their habits, or should I hire someone like that that would compliment me? I think that would be an ideal dynamic. But also, how do I build my own beta muscles? You know, if I tend to be very directive and I tend to be um, the guy that likes to be at the front of the room and making all the decisions and having that clear-eyed vision, well, what's getting left out of the mix? Am I doing enough listening? Am I expressing, am I being curious? Am I setting up environments with my team where other people get to share their ideas? Do I create enough sense of psychological safety so that people feel like their ideas are um, nurtured or that they wanna be heard? Because highly alpha leaders can sometimes come across as the biggest voice in the room and everybody stays quiet. You know, your classic Zoom call now where everybody's virtual, right? And they're all working at home or half are at home or whatever it is. And your alpha style leader is like, okay, guys, we're at staff meeting and I've got the agenda and here's what I want to share with you and blah, blah, blah. And 20 minutes into the meeting, we're going to have a discussion and it's all very strong language and very alpha. And then he says, okay, let's open it up for discussion. And no one talks. Yeah, I actually went through that same thing. Yeah. Like when I was an early manager, I would always dominate the conversation up front and no one would, would say something. And my mentor told me one day, he said it on my meeting. I, I had brought him in. I said, hey, can you just like watch me? Can you like observe me for like a day? Yeah, and um, at the end of it, he's like, one piece of advice I'd have for you is when you start your meetings, be the last to talk. If you're always the last to talk, then people will be more likely to share their ideas up front. He's like, don't be the first to talk because what you do is you, you, you start the conversation but you start it with saying, here's my idea. What do you guys think? Don't do that. Right. Just say, here's the right. problem. What are your ideas? And don't give any input of what your ideas are until last. Be the last one to, to offer your I ideas. That. that way I you can, that. you're not yeah. scaring people off because you come up with these ideas and people are afraid to go against their leader. You know, they're afraid to, to, right. to voice concerns. But if you let them go, go first, you know, it, 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 it lets you also hear their ideas for starters. Cause that's important. You know, you want to hear other people's good ideas. Yeah, you have to be willing to listen. See, that's yes, the yes, other that's thing. That's the hard part. I mean, he was coaching your 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 uh, beta to come through, right? <laughs> exactly. Which is to be curious, to be a good listener, to create a space where people feel safe enough to speak up, 
And you do that with open-ended questions, doing exactly what he said, which is to speak last instead of first. And yeah, there's a whole energy that you need to create where you encourage, you nurture, and you really champion other people to get to be engaged. And, and that will ultimately, um, you'll get the best out of other people, but then you'll also get the best ideas. And so then you can put your alpha hat back on and say, you know what, this has been so great. I've learned so much from everybody. Let's work together and climb that hill using some of those ideas that you just shared. Yes, exactly. So when you're talking about being flexible between the alpha and beta, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I remember you talking about HIT training, you know, and um, I have a Peloton. So I do some of the HIT, HIT classes, the high intensity training. Um, what are some things that, that, can be done to help you be flexible and to transition between that alpha and beta um, um, leadership characteristics? Well, yeah, what, what you're pointing to is that there's, there's uh, like hit examples in my book, which mm -hmm. are quick uh, exercises that you can do once you realize you're on one end of the spectrum or the other for, mm -hmm. you know, any of those six domains. So for example, um, let's pick, uh, well, we just talked a little bit about decision-making because that was your example of, of speaking last, right? Instead of speaking first. So that's a really good example. I'll give you an example from another part of the book, which is about intentional communication. Like if you want to be influencing and you tend to be very alpha, you know, the alpha influencer, the alpha communicator is the one that puts up the PowerPoint with lots of numbers and <laughs> has a lot of data and everybody falls asleep. And, you know, the, the hit exercise in that is to think about why are you sharing this PowerPoint? Do people have to really see the data or do they, can they read it somewhere else? And what can you do in your communication style that's going to actually motivate, inspire and get people excited? And a lot of the time, that kind of communication is really more about your emotions. It's about feelings. It's about the stories you tell. It's about the why. Why is this important? What, do I, what are we trying to accomplish? And so I, I always suggest there's a couple of hit ex exercises in my book to you know, think about adding a story that personalizes, that brings in the emotional component to what you're trying to accomplish with your team, because then you're going to be much more persuasive than just a whole bunch of data. And that can be challenging, you know, for, for tech people, because they do tend to be very data driven and they think everyone else is just as interested in the, in the data <laughs> as I am. But the reality is you're dealing with human beings, right? And human beings are not motivated by data. That's a, that's a fundamentally researched truth, you know, they are impressed with data, they make decisions with data, but they're not motivated by data. They're motivated by their feelings. They're, yep. they're inspired by what's possible. So you gotta, you gotta bring that into the mix mm -hmm. when you're trying to be a inspiring communicator. If you look at all the best entrepreneurs, the ones that really stand out, you know, they did at some point either have a sidekick or they learned themselves to be inspiring beyond just, you know, the, the tech data science of whatever they're trying to accomplish. They, they would get at the purpose, the why, the reason, the what's, what's going to change the world kind of my, my um, emotional connection. 
Yeah, I like to say behind every number, there's a story, right? Behind there, every person, perfect. there's a story. Yeah. I wish I'd said that. <laughs> well, well to, to give credit to, to, to this, if you go way back about uh, 10 years ago, I was going through um, uh, something at my church and, and they had like a, a, a PowerPoint or something for the annual report and they listed all these numbers. And then at the bottom, I had one sentence that says, behind every number is a story. Every yeah. number is a person and think about it like that. And I, so I've, I've always kind of held that to whenever I, I want to create those graphs, I always say, what can I put in here? That's funny. That's interesting. That's, you know, like, like one of the things I used to put on my team uh, quarterly reports was how many K cups of coffee we drank, you know, or something like that. That's yeah, a, exactly. that's a story that kind of shows, okay, well, that's best. Yep. You know, they're people, they're interesting. Yep. They're, there's something yep. different. Um, yeah. I share, I share a quick story in my book that came from a real situation that I was working with a physician, you know, the head of intensive care at a major hospital. And she would do these monthly reports for all the physicians in the evening, you know, and she would put up PowerPoints that had all the statistics about the number of patients and the quality of the care and the money they were making and blah, 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 you know. And over time, to make a long story short, she basically started losing her audience. She said to me at one point, Jeff, how come people... I give them wine, I give them dinner, and I give them all the facts and figures and they don't show up. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe you could send them the facts and figures and then maybe you could do something more meaningful in your evening gatherings over wine and dinner. And she said, well, what would be more meaningful? And I said, well, why don't you tell some stories or show some photos of some things where you've actually saved lives? Like you work in intensive care. This is a really deeply personal family oriented, you know, people's are people's lives are at stake. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, yeah, but nobody wants to hear about that. People do it all day long, Jeff. They don't want to hear about my stories or, and I said, well, I'm not sure I completely buy that. Why don't you just give it a little experiment instead? And the only thing she was willing to do at first, she said, I said, just insert into your PowerPoint, a picture of you and a family that where you like had saved someone's life, you know, someone who was in intensive care and you had their family and then they survived and they went home and he, she said, Oh yeah, that, that happened a couple of weeks ago. It was really incredible. And the family, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, well put a picture in this, in the, in the PowerPoint. And you know where I'm headed with this. Basically yeah. what happened <laughs> is everyone in the room was like, Oh my God, we didn't know you cared about your patients. Like we couldn't care less about your quality numbers and your financial numbers. We care about our patients. That's so great that, you, that you're the leader and you still care about the patients. We love hearing that story. And everybody was like, why don't we share stories like that every month when we get together? And so she came back to me and she's like, I didn't realize that they wanted to talk about what they do every day. <laughs> I mean, that makes total sense because anytime you go, you know, to a yeah. bar, you go to a social event, people want to talk about what they do. They want to talk about themselves and the things that they do and their achievements and their accomplishments and the fun things that they saw, the interesting right. stories. Right. And yeah, even the sad things, like they wanted to talk about their losses and uh, they're, they're, they wanted to talk about the fact that they were, you know, really sad about the fact that they really tried to keep that person alive and ultimately they didn't, you know, survive, uh, but you know, the human story, like you said, is what connects people to want to be part of the organization, what, what people want to be part of the team. Um, obviously, celebrations are more fun than, you know, sharing the sad stories, but it's the human part that's really core. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I think this is uh, some really good information. How can people find out more about you, the things you're doing and pick up a copy of the book? The book is available anywhere, you know, obviously through Amazon and <laughs> Barnes and Noble and all those places. Um, just look up Flex and use my name because Flex, a lot of things come up, but Hull, H-U-L-L. Um, and you can also get it on my website, which is Jeffrey Hull, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-H-U-L-L.com. It's, uh, and more information about me also, if they're interested in following up with me. Awesome. And I'll link that up in the show notes at geekleader.com and put your book in uh, the books from our guest page as well. So uh, again, Jeff, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation and I uh, love pleasure. the stories. Yeah, it was fun talking to you. I wish you all the best. If you enjoyed that episode, please uh, leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. I'd greatly appreciate that. And also, don't forget to check out merch. We have some t-shirts that uh, I've designed that are on at geekleader.com. Um, you can click on the merchandise uh, section there and check that out. And also, don't forget about the books from our guests. So if you like this guest and other guests that have written books, please um, go ahead and check that out at geekleader.com. I would greatly appreciate it, and I'm sure they would too.